Boss Uncaged is a weekly podcast that releases the origin stories of business owners and entrepreneurs as they become uncaged trailblazers. In each episode, our hosts, S.A. Grant and guests construct narrative accounts of their collective business journeys and growth strategies. Learn key success habits and how to stay motivated through failure, all while developing a boss uncaged mindset. Break out of your cage and welcome our host, S.A. Grant. Welcome, welcome back to Boss Uncaged Podcast. So this episode is a particular episode that I'm actually looking really, really forward to. Come to find out, I'm talking to the two founders of, you know, you guys have heard me talk about podcast recruiters on and on and on again and like how powerful it is to get into these, these networks to be on that list. And sure as hell, we got two founders of a particular platform called Speak on Podcast, and they're they're also multiple CEOs. And we're going to break apart like their story. We're going to kind of talk to you a little bit about how do they get to where they are, what are they doing now. Um, in this particular episode, I like to give a, a nickname, right? So we have two guys. So I'm going to nickname Dom and Elliot the Empire Bosses. And as we talk about what, why, you'll hear that very soon. So. The floor is yours. Why don't you guys just kind of take turns, tell us a little bit more about who you are and what would you guys like to talk about today? Yeah, thanks for awesome. thanks for having us on. We're uh, we're extremely excited and what a warm <coughs> So uh, thank you very much. Um, so I'm Elliot. I am obviously one of the brothers, one of the two Chapman brothers. Um, and we've been, both Dom and I have been on a separate entrepreneurial journey um had challenges and decided to come together join forces because as you'll probably find out throughout this episode we are very different in sort of our styles and who we are but i think the one thing that has i guess joined us and the one thing that has made this particular relationship work is not only are we brothers but we we see things very very similarly despite coming from two different backgrounds. So yeah. Dom and I have been working together um, for the last four or five years now, um, directly running, owning different agencies. Um, and we we own two agencies outright, and we've got um, investments in multiple others. So there are, there is, uh, I think there's six or seven companies in our portfolio now. So we've got a fairly good idea of how to do things well but also how to do things badly we've we've done both so uh, we'll probably delve into quite a bit of that over the next uh, over the course of the interview so that's that's who i am dom yeah i guess it's worth um sort of going into sort of the backgrounds a little bit um and I guess my background is a little bit more sort of technical and creative uh, and Els is more sales and commercial. And that's another reason why we, we came together and sort of joined forces. Um, my background is, as I said, more, more tech. Um, so built and built and sold a tech business when I was 21. Um, after doing that, joined forces with, with L to, to launch social traps. Social traps is a sort of lead generation business that sort of spiraled into into other businesses um which now as i'll just mentioned the portfolio so um yeah that's a little bit more um in, in my sort of my area as well and, and i think kind of going back to you guys nickname as far as being an empire right our bosses i mean you guys have if if you don't have that company and you see a possibility you're going to try to do some acquisitions to kind of you know 
by that company. So I want to talk about the first one, right? I mean, also social chaps is, is a really cool name from the branding standpoint, because I'm a brand specialist. So I just want to break that apart. And once you talk about that a little bit, so their last name is Chapman, and they made a platform called social chaps. And they're from, you know, UK. So chaps being more so like a like a, a friendly stranger, but at the same time, you have the social aspect to it. So it's like the combination of both the duality of the meaning of the words and the brand. So I want you to kind of talk about what is that platform usually used for and, and how did you actually come up with the name? So we'll, I'll, I'll talk about the name uh, being the, the non-creative one. The name <laughs> took us less than five minutes. It was, you know, we, we are not, um, I don't think Dom, either Dom or I are out and out brand guys. Um, we sort of run with an idea and let things naturally fall into place. So we were very hot on not coming up with, not getting too bogged down or not stuck on a, on a particular name. Because for us, we like to try and get things moving, get a service sold, and then name, brand, positioning, all of that, in our opinion, can be looked after at a later date. Let's try and prove that we've got something, mm. then we can try and brand it. So we thought, listen, we'll, we'll call ourselves Social Chaps because of exactly the reason that you've explained. It was going to be some form of social platform. Our last name is is Chapman. Uh, so we just sort of shortened it. It stuck with the idea of probably rebranding into something maybe cooler, sexier, more slick uh, a couple of years or a couple of months down the line. And it just hasn't happened. It's just stuck. So that's where the name came from. Um, it was a five minute conversation and Dom came up with it. Mm. I didn't want to argue with him. We ran with it. You Usually how it works is I'll, I'll propose a name. He'll go, I don't like it. And then <laughs> he'll sit on it for 24 hours and then go, all right, let's, let's go with that name. Um, that's usually how it works. But I think sort of my, how we look at brands and um, when you're starting the business, um, as El said, not to get too bogged down, we always focus on trying to win a few customers and validate at least the idea more than the brand first. Yeah. And then you can really expand on building out that brand and the ethos and all the things that come with it once you've validated the idea um so we always try and do it that way instead of you know spending way too much on um getting all the, the website and the marketing materials all together we'd rather just pick up the phone and have a conversation with someone and see if they want to buy what we're selling first very cool. Very cool. So, I mean, diving into that, I mean, obviously I, I looked at the platform, I looked at some of your social media feeds and it kind of like you guys have really dialed into to the, the avatar, right? And again, correct me if I'm wrong, but I would think that your ideal avatar is probably stateside somewhere in the U.S. And I'm saying that based upon some of the images that you guys use, right? There was one particular ad that you guys had and it was a, 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 a illustration of a guy swinging a baseball bat. Now, considering that you're in the UK, I would think soccer is probably the most dominant sport. So I would think that was definitely something that you guys were saying, okay, let's go this direction because that's our target avatar. So I want you to talk about that a little bit. Like, who is your ideal avatar for that platform? Dom, you're the creative. You can talk about that. <laughs> that you built. Yeah, yeah. So um, I guess in terms of who our, who our target audience is, we are... Um, we do both focus in, in the US uh, and Europe. Um, the What we do as a business, which is working with um, business owners, heads of sales, uh, and driving driving new business for those agencies and consultancies is, mm. is at the end of the day what we do. Um, with that avatar, um, we, we, we built a, a number of assets during um, COVID because we wanted to go after the US 
uh, and Europe. Um, so those assets, um, those assets probably came from that. Um, but, that, but that particular one, I think you're talking about is sort of like the cartoon image. I'm yeah. pretty sure Dom and I were sort of banding around different things that we do and sort of some of the successes that we've had. And one of the things or one of the slogans that we'd never actually used that came out of it was that we, or from our clients had said, was that we'd smashed it out of the park, which mm -hmm. is where this particular cartoon had sort of evolved from. So, again, didn't overthink it, didn't scrutinize things too much just built something got it out there people resonated with it people liked it and it stuck yeah yeah i mean i, I definitely could see that and i think going back to you elliot you had a particular um testimonial or a comment a quote from you that was on your website on your about us page and it, it pretty much stems from it's about understanding the business goals and working towards um, working towards these goals. So I want you to talk about, I mean, obviously you guys have bigger goals than the average entrepreneur, right? I mean, obviously you have an agency, you you have the social platform, you have the podcasting platform, you also have a platform that helps with funding. So I want you to talk about like, what is the end goal? As far as I know, you guys are far from being done. What's next on the agenda? Yeah, so just, I'll just highlight that, that quote. So one of the things that when we first when we first started entering into the lead generation space and started to understand agencies, what a lot of people were saying to us is, we love how you ask where we're going. We love how you try and align yourselves to our vision. And for us, it's fairly normal to ask, okay, what are you trying to achieve? Mm. Because without us understanding what you're trying to achieve, we're going to find it really difficult to try and align our goals to your vision and therefore sell it as a success. So for us, it was it seemed like common sense, but not everybody was was doing it. And I still don't think it's done enough. You know, if we're going to work together, I want to know where you're going to get to so that I can somehow align my my story and my journey to your vision. Anything within sales, anything within when you're when you're selling, you have to somewhat sell a story and sell a journey, sell a vision that we are going to go on together. And without me understanding your goals and what you're trying to achieve, is very, very difficult for, for us to do that with any of our clients. In terms of our goals and our vision of what we're trying to achieve, it it's changed probably a lot over the last 12 months. Um, and it does seem to slightly jump around with every single acquisition or every investment that we're doing. What Dom and I are trying to create is a portfolio where everybody gets value from both what Dom and I are creating as well as each other. And where that leads us to, we are quite open. We're not set on a defined exit. We're not set on holding that portfolio for 10, 15, 20 years. As it stands, we've sort of jumped around with what we're trying to achieve. But we are growing something that is going to be worth something within the next sort of five to 10 years. And what the end goal is, we're quite open to what that might be at this point in time. We're trying not to put too many definitives, too many lines in the sand. I mean, I mean, with that, talking about acquisitions, you guys even have a, a platform that you built out just for that. So just talk about Chapman Capital for a minute. I mean, obviously, you guys have been in this space for a minute. You, you're doing mm -hmm. acquisitions. So why did you decide to then say, let's make an actual platform to, to help? I mean, I would, I would look at it from a growth strategy standpoint, but what was your viewpoint to creating the actual capital side of your business? Do you want to say that, Dom? I think you can say that one. The, the capital side is more you. 
And uh, it's, it's interesting because we're we're in the process of potentially rebranding the the Chapman Capital um, side of stuff. But um, yeah, we can talk about that a little bit later. <laughs> we we wanted a a vehicle that people could clearly identify with. Mm. So you know you could do you could do acquisitions under a slightly slightly different you know vehicle or name it something completely different. But we wanted to use Chapman Capital and brand it as Chapman Capital so that people could really quickly and easily identify that, okay, these are these guys are actually on a bit of a mission to acquire, invest, whatever it may be. If we were going to be doing more of a sort of a, a natural acquisition route where we use Chapman Capital as a, sorry, use social, chap, social chaps as the vehicle, it's a harder sell in our opinion. And that's what we were finding. As soon as Chapman Capital came into the, came into the fold, easily identifiable that we are in the M&A space and we are actively looking for agencies that meet a certain criteria mm. where we can add value to, we can help grow and potentially work towards an exit, potentially hold in the portfolio. It was much easier for us to align our goals with, with those founders who are looking to exit. Yeah. And it's it's like when you niche down on a business, uh, sort of niche down when you're trying to, you know, grow your client base, S similar when you're trying to sort of build a portfolio of acquisitions, the more you niche down, the, the easier it is to go and find them and, you know, just go through the motions. So I think you brought up a very key word, which is a good segue, right? You talk about niching down. So it kind of brings us to like the third, the third of your, your collective portfolio that's more on the limelight side speak on podcasts. And this is one of your acquisitions that was around before. Um, they were doing fairly well. They, they fit the criteria. So you guys went in and actually purchased it. So I want to talk about like, why did you guys decide after going to capital, after going the social route to say, okay, let's dive into podcasting, but let's dive into podcasting to where we're helping people find the right podcasts to be on. Here's a platform. Let's purchase it and roll it in the fold. Go on, Dan. Yeah, yeah. So we... We've always been interested in the in the podcasting space. Um, we we launched the podcast a couple of years ago. Um, we recommend you know we recommend all our clients to get on as many podcasts as possible. Um, we are working with a few PR agencies who are dabbling in podcast guesting. Oh. Um, but for us, I think we saw a real change in how you can do um, sort of digital PR through podcasting. Um, which is where what sort of led us to speak on podcasts, which is a podcast guest booking agency. Um, we met with uh, Jakob, uh, Jakob and Mark um, back end of last year. Got on really well. Loved everything about uh, loved everything about the business, and we just instantly wanted to get involved. Mm. Um, you know, the the businesses that they're working with, how they're delivering. Obviously, you've been on the other side of it. Um, so you, you know you have that experience as well, and every time we jump on with the the host, it's the same, um, which is you know it's an unbelievable experience with speak on podcasts and and how they communicate and how they 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 get guests on, um, and it was just something that we wanted to get involved with, uh, aligned with a general natural fit with what we're looking for. Um, it was just good timing, uh, I'd say, um, in meeting those guys and getting that deal done. Very cool. Very cool. So let's time travel a little bit, right? So, I mean, obviously you guys are already, I can tell like one of you guys is very creative. One of you is very analytical. So you bring both halves together to make a, a perfect ecosystem. But like, what were you guys like as kids? Like, you know, like our, our listeners potentially have kids. 
they may have two siblings in the household. Like what, besides breaking stuff, probably cursing each other out and, and getting into fights, what is the commonality that you kind of, kind of, kind of depict so we can kind of visualize that? That's a good question. Um, That's a good question. So we, we grew up when we were, when we were much younger, grew up um, in Wales, a uh, small country in, in the UK, and we lived right on the beach. I mean, literally, you, you went out of our, our back gate and you were across the sand dunes and, and on the beach. So we had a very active childhood. Um, we would be playing football, UK football, soccer, um, outside playing sport in evenings, in the weekend. So we grew up competing. We grew up sort of competing against each other, competing with each other. Um, and I would say that is kind of the foundation of our relationship where because of sport, because of that active childhood um, and our parents pushed us to, to sort of be that way. You know, we weren't allowed to sit in the house playing computer games or video games. We weren't allowed to just, you know, sit around doing nothing. We were pushed to, to get out and be active. I think that competition from a very young age, sort of, you know, five and three, there's only two years between us. I know Dom looks a little bit older than uh, than he than he actually is, but there's only a couple of years between us. And I think that growing up with that sort of small age gap, mm-hmm. that has defined somewhat the the relationship. It wasn't always um, like any sibling relationship. It wasn't always uh, full of love um, and full of gratitude. There was a period where we were sort of in still our isn't. Team. No. still isn't. <laughs> There's certainly not the gratitude part. There was a period when we were when we were in our teens where I think we fought quite a lot, and um, you know I think there's a particular story that Dom likes to tell. I can't remember the full details, but we did have an argument about a small amount of money, which went on for a couple of weeks, and our parents had to call in a full intervention. But those sorts of you know those sorts of things bind you; they build trust, and that is for us the bedrock of of the relationship that trust element where i'm sure a lot of people in in business in life have been somewhat undermined by a particular person by a business partner there is never any doubt in my mind going into a decision that will be aligned and if we're if we're not quite aligned mm-hmm. then we give each other 24 hours to present our case and we drop all ego and go with what is the best thing for, not for us, for the businesses. So it works really, really well. And I think having that childhood defines those periods. Yeah, I agree. So let's just dive into that a little bit more, right? I mean, obviously, just talk about like your upbringing in the sense from your parents' point of view, right? Both of you guys turn out to be entrepreneurs. Both of you guys have merged together and you have a corporation that's, you know, again, you're building an empire. Some of this has to be coming genetically from somewhere or, or seeing it happen before. So I could be misleading the audience, but ideally I would think that you guys come from entrepreneurial backgrounds. Like one of your parents had to be in the game somewhere sometime. Correct me if I'm wrong. No, 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 you're, you're completely right. So um, <clears throat> our dad um, has been a sort of an IT contractor from, from the 90s. So technically he was always sort of self-employed. Um, and then through the years, um, you know, tried to start multiple businesses. And then um, I don't know what, what year SCN started out. It was, it, was at, it was in, as we were sort of getting a li- little bit older, um, he, he launched a consultancy um, 
and I, I think the interesting part, and oh, we've never really spoken about this, um, but you know, he had his own failures through the years, but he always bounced back and tried again without without a doubt. Um, like you know, he um, and I think that's something that we've taken on as well, which is you know, we've tried multiple multiple businesses that haven't worked out. Um, you know, you don't always talk about them, but we we're pretty open about them. Um, and being able to go again and not have your confidence knocked um, because it didn't quite work out or not overthinking it is something that he was he was fantastic at as well. Um, mm. And I think uh, we've never really spoken about that, um, but that's no, definitely right. something that we've taken on. No, you, I I agree. We've never spoken about it, but um, yeah, I, I completely agree. There were two or three businesses that um, that he tried to get off the ground and sort of worked relentlessly for a couple of years. Um, and they just didn't didn't come off. And I don't think it was ever discussed. It may well have been, but I don't remember a discussion. But you just remember that there was another idea a year down the line and he was doing something slightly different. And you're right, that resilience has to have somewhat traveled down without really realizing it. Mm-hmm. I think you watch your dad do stuff like that and go, okay, well, if he didn't care and he's bouncing back, that has without question transformed into into us so i mean i didn't realize that your dad was was uh, I, I know that one of you guys were the head of sourcing of sen limited yep so like what what does that look like working with your dad right i mean obviously bringing that into the equation talking about you grew up in an entrepreneurial household but ideally i think there was probably some some friction there as well let's just talk about that a little bit yeah so it wasn't um wasn't anywhere near as much friction as i think either me or my dad would have thought there were never any times where we fell out. I think it just, it complicates the father son relationship. Uh And we were, we were all, we were always pretty good at differentiating the two. Um, But it does, without question, it does put a strain on things. And um, I don't know what he would say. I, I honestly don't know what he would say. We haven't actually spoken about it all that much. However, I prefer my relationship with my dad now versus the one that I had when we were working together. What I will say is he did make it incredibly easy for me in that he never he never it never really felt like I was working for my dad. You know, I think sometimes you can go into the family business and I had to work and I had to prove myself and I did feel like I had to work harder. That never once came from him. That was always from from me. But I definitely prefer my relationship with my dad now now that I'm not working with him or for him but that's no slight on him that's just it just it's just complicated yeah 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 and i think i think you guys are complicated by nature as well too because i mean by by default like elliot you've worked in like technology you worked in a clothing brand you worked in all these different things but then you keep referring to dom as being the creative but you worked in the creative space so i think that there's a duality between both i think you guys probably hit the switches from time to time and shifted so i want to talk about like uh, average workday. What does that really look like? And I know you're going to say Dom is creative, but I think that you have some creative elements to you as well. Well, so it was Dom that had the clothing brand, but I have worked in tech. Um, Dom is definitely the creative. I I have blagged my way into the tech stuff. I understand tech, but I'm no, I'm certainly not a doer by any stretch in the in the tech space at all. I understand. I do, I, it, I do think you are. I do think you underestimate yourself in terms of creative because I think creative can come in a lot of different forms. Um, and yes, the traditional form is, you know, design, photography, w- website, whatever, whatever it is. But 
when we get into the room and think about new services and new offerings and thinking creatively about, um, you know, how to structure a, a commercial deal, that, that's, that's still being creative. And I think, um, you know, it's having the ability to think outside the box. So as much as it's not creative in the, the traditional sense, I, I still think you are creative. Why are you being nice? I was saying the Don't same know. thing. I was just like, whoa. <laughs> What's going yeah, on? Probably love on the show today. <laughs> I'll hang up now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I, you know, I guess I guess creativity does come in in different forms, but I think in a a traditional sense of creativity, that that's not my my natural sort of that's not my natural flow, not by any stretch. Dom, but I think Dom and I have both got our skill sets, and we don't really deviate too far away from them and i think that's another reason as to why it works sometimes in we've seen it in in business relationships where you have you know two business partners they both have skim, similar skill sets mm. and it becomes a challenge because when you know when things are going tough and you need somebody to maybe do some of the stuff that you don't enjoy you can start to clash whereas dom and i enjoy two different things we enjoy two different sides of business mm. there is overlap but not in terms of the doing, you know, you'll never find Dom scrutinizing the financials on a deal and you'll never meet, you'll never find me scrutinizing how things get delivered because it's just not our flow. It's not what we enjoy and it makes things so much easier. It's, it's a really interesting point actually, because um, what we see a lot is businesses when they hit that sort of maybe four or 500,000 to, to a million and they really struggle to get through that million. When you dig into, the founders and again it's something we've never really spoken about what you find it's two people who are specialists at what they do so two you know great um sort of social media marketers and they go let's start a business together but they're both fantastic at the same thing whereas once you get that client base and you you have to push through you have to do the finances you have to do the bigger sales and bigger deals that's not what they enjoy doing so a lot of agency specifically gets stuck at that that midpoint and can't find their way through and could be one of the reasons why really <clears throat> i think i think since we're on the, this train of like identifying who you guys are if you guys could take turns selecting just three to five words that can represent you what would those three to five words be in business or just in life just you period i mean just any any three to five words that you can come up with that they say what does what, what Elliot in three to five words just define that? Oh, what I'd like to be a prep. Oh, that is, that is, um, I would say loyal, family orientated, mm -hmm. and driven. Give you, you I think, um, Resilient, um, yeah, driven as well, but I don't want to say the same ones as Al, so I'm trying to think outside the box here. <laughs> um, I think competitive, hmm. I think that's another one. And I think, to be honest, we could both be all or either of them, maybe not the family oriented for me, um, as, as, as much as Al with his little family, but um yeah there's definitely crossover and i think that's the thing we're very similar people in how mm. we think um even though we are different 
So, I mean, obviously, I think to your point, the commonality between you guys is, is being driven. And is that something that you guys have always harnessed? And I mean, looking at your credibility and looking at your background, both of you had two different tracks, right? And you're conquering both of them. And then now you guys have merged together. So, I mean, bringing the two forces together, you're going to conquer whatever you guys choose to. But let's talk about the duration of time. Like, how long did it take you guys to become who you are? Was it a 10-year thing, 15, 20-year? Yeah, it was uh, probably a 10-year journey, I think. So from when, from when I left school, sort of 20, sorry, 18, I started out on my entrepreneurial journey, started with uh, one of my former coaches, started a local soccer school, soccer coaching school, grew that to a certain size, then went out to the States, did something similar, but on a national scale, came back, worked for the family business. And throughout that sort of six, seven-year period, mm-hmm. You're, you know, what you're doing is defining you as a, as a person. I think the biggest one, of obviously becoming an entrepreneur and doing your own thing is, is huge. But I think the biggest thing for me or the biggest learning lesson is when I was working for the family business, everybody was at least 15, 20 years older than me. Nobody was mid twenties. Everybody was 40, 45, 50. And that you have to grow up because they're not going to do business with somebody who's an immature 23, 24-year-old. So you have to act older than what you already are. And that maturity, that drive, seeing people who are sort of in their mid-40s, some are doing really well, some are doing terribly. And that was a good that was a good moment in life for me to say, okay, I definitely want more. I've got myself, you know, a 15, 20-year runway, and I could easily achieve more than than what I've sort of encountered so mm. that for me was my sort of just shy a 10-year journey wow yeah yeah mine, mine was similar um i think i was 18 or 18 or 19 when i started at um spec savers and for <clears throat> i guess for for the u.s audience um it's one of the largest opticians uh in in the uk um and i was running the sort of innovation and um innovation and doing commercial work there um that lasted a year and then i went out on my own started my first design agency that turned into a tech business um and then within that uh tried to launch clothing brands um and you know probably a few more few more failures um being out on my own um in those early years but again i think the, the key thing is if you're starting young it's um having to grow up fast because otherwise people just won't take you seriously um you know having to have very adult conversations uh, mm. at an early age so this is look at it from from a, a standpoint of you have an opportunity to go back and, and let's say you have a 5 minute window that you can talk to your younger self you can give yourself some words of advice my question to both of you is like when would you go back to and what would you say to make yourself understand where you are to make it happen a lot faster if you could do it all over again I would go back to where I was when I just come back from uh, the States. So I was 22 and I'd achieved, I didn't think it at the time, but looking back, I'd achieved a lot for someone who was 22. And I felt like I had no idea what I was going to do. I felt like I didn't have much experience. I felt like I just not wasted the last four years, but I certainly felt a little bit lost in life. I would go back and spin that mindset. Um, because I sort of almost grieved for myself for the last or for sort of six months 
Um, and I would go back and say that spin the mind, spin the narrative, spin the mindset in that those four years are, are a huge success yeah. and you are on a path to be a success. The, you know, the last four years were little mini steps all towards something that is, if I'd have said to myself by the time I was 30, we'd have, you know, a portfolio that we've got eight years ago, I would have laughed in your face and said, what on earth are you on about? So you can change your fortunes and everything is sort of gearing towards success in some way, shape or form, even if at the time it feels like, what have I just done? I've wasted four years. Yeah, interesting. I, I think for me, I, I'd I'd almost tell myself to to go with my gut more often when I was younger and, and trust myself. Um, when I was, you know, 21, 22, I thought surrounding myself with people older and listening to them was always the right thing to do um, mm. and made a lot of wrong decisions, um, you know, in, in the businesses because I was listening to them. Mm not necessarily going with my gut or what I thought was the re- the right thing. That could be from working with an individual to um, almost to like a, how I run the business. Um, it always worked out that, you know, what, what my gut was saying was right. Um, so it would be trust, trust the decisions that, you know, your body is telling you. That's in, do you know how often, <clears throat> so I've, not, I've never even noticed this before, but do you know how often when we're making a decision, we'll say, what's your gut saying? Yeah. I've never even noticed it until you sort of until you just said that. But we a lot of the time we say, What does your gut say? Yeah. Well, I think I think it's so interesting because I mean obviously you guys are a few years apart, but there's so many commonalities between who you guys are, and you guys have distinctly, you know, split it in half to where one is more technical, one is more creative. But I guess the fact that you two are together right now, it's like you had to go through that journey to become what you guys are going to be. I think this is kind of like the dawn of where you guys are going, right? This is just the start. Like yep. you guys are really now at your growth stage because you you came together. So I think it's inspirational for anyone that's an entrepreneur that's dealing with a family member. This is an opportunity to see how the positive side of this would look like. So, yeah, and there's a, yeah. Sorry, no, I was going to say there's, I feel like there is a lot of negativity around working with family mm. and near enough, nine out of 10 people that we speak to, they say, oh, you're working with your brother. I could never work with my sibling. Mm. I, whilst I do think we've got quite a unique relationship, I also think a lot of it is misconstrued. If you've got clear communication and you understand, you know, where each other are on things, that could go with family or anybody else. I I find it so much easier delivering bad news to Dom than I would do somebody who maybe I'd known for five years and I was in business with because I know exactly how he's going to react because I've known him his whole life. Therefore, I can tailor how I position it to get a positive reaction from him and probably the same vice versa. I, I think I think there's too much negativity around working with family. And I've done it with with a dad, with, with Dom, we've got our sister who works for us as well, who's, who's employed. So I feel like we're fairly well qualified to say that it, it actually can work. You can have difficult conversations and they don't need to be detrimental to any other, any other relationship. Hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> and I think the, the other thing when working together is one thing we've always said since we started is, you know, drop the ego. Like when we're making a decision, um, whether someone else is involved, it's, you know, there shouldn't be any ego involved. It should be whatever the best decision is. And, you know, if you're outvoted three to one on a decision, like 
don't throw a tantrum about it. It's clearly the best decision for the business. Um, and we've seen it in previous businesses and other businesses where an ego can get hold of someone and it completely just derails the conversation, the the strategy. Um, and I, I think that's one thing that is, you know, it's the self-awareness to know when to drop your ego um, yeah. in a situation. And you'll you'll see you'll see on that. Sorry, just quickly that yeah. we have in every single business we've got exactly the same job title. Now, hopefully, up to this point, it's quite clear that we do not do the same job. However, to remove not only the ego but also anybody looking in, every decision that we make, regardless of the company, will be made together. So it doesn't matter. In some scenarios, Dom's leading, Dom's in charge, and in others, I'm leading, I'm in charge. But we will always share the same job title to remove any of that exterior restrictions or 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 ego. I mean, I definitely like like the way you guys are defining it. Like this, I want to peel back some onions on that on a, on another side. Just flip it, right? So ideally, you're talking about working with family, but what is it like in your personal family lives? I mean, obviously, with marriages, with parents, and, and like family gatherings outside of business, how are you guys managing that? Good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Weirdly, we, we know when to switch off. Um, and I, that might be seeing it from, again, going back to our dad when, you know, when he, he's, um, he was, we were younger and him sort of coming home, dropping everything at the door and coming outside and playing football with us. Um, but we've, you know, we'll go to football on the weekends and we may say a few words about work. Um, but not much is talked about in terms of in terms of work um and i think it's just making that very active switch to turn off one of our you know one of the the managing directors one of the businesses he's also a good friend of ours and we're very clear with him to do the same and he's good at it as well which is you know once we're out of work you know let's let's not speak about work there's there's more going on in life than um just talking about work 24 hours a day um i don't know what your point is al no no I similar, you know, we, I feel like we've got a good, definitely got a good work-life balance. I know this is a, a hot topic of conversation. There was a conversation just recently that you've had around the, you know, getting the work-life balance, right. Um, making sure you're taking time to actually switch off, making sure that, you know, Dom and I, whilst we are business partners, we are also brothers, which means there's other things that we talk about. You know, he's uncle to my son, We've got a wedding in a couple of weeks where he's the best man and I can guarantee there'll be no talk of work at the wedding. Mm-hmm. So there are much, there is much more to life, to our relationship than just talking about what does a palette, what does a balance sheet look like or how are we going to deliver a certain project? I think, I think it's, it's a phenomenal, you know, asset to, to, to be at that level. Right. And I think part of what you guys have done to get to that point and again, you can correct me if I'm wrong, you have a diversification as far as staff, right? I think you guys have like a job right now for a data specialist, and that's out of the Philippines, right? So that, that's a time shift. And I always say that if you can kind of get a six-hour and a 12-hour overlap, then potentially your company could work 24 hours a day without the owners having to break a sweat because your team is supporting you around the clock. I want you to talk about like, why did you guys decide to go that route? You can go, Dom. <laughs> yeah, so, um... Until we bought Speak On Podcasts, it was never really um, something we considered. We tried it um, very early on in the social chat's journey, and 
the time difference we we really struggle with. Um, and then, um, and hats off to Mark and Jakob, how they built Speak On Podcast, and it wasn't relied on, you know, it wasn't being relied on to be on the same hours in constant communication. We saw how that was possible. We were remote anyway um, at, um, at the other businesses. Um, and we just, we've just taken how Speak On Podcast runs with, with certain elements of that remote team, and we've just implemented it within some of the other businesses. And that's, I think that's the beauty of picking up other businesses. Some things, you can take the best of some and, and put them into the others and, and vice versa. Um, so, um, yeah, hats off to sort of Mark and Jakob for, for how they built um, Speak On Podcast. Very cool. So, I mean, another thing about you two guys, you guys, are, I think, are very highly educated. You're very versed in what you're talking about. You, you know, obviously, you've done it enough times to know what you're talking about. But I want to talk about if there's any books that you would want to recommend that kind of helped you to get to where you are on that journey. Quite a few. We talk about books and, and reading quite a lot. Um, so one that certainly helped me when I was in that period that I'd just spoken about, I'd just come back from the States. I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do. Um, I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And that helped me be, That helped me understand that, okay, I might not just need maybe one job or there's, it just gave me a completely different outlook. And I'm sure that most people listening to this who are you know, in, involved in the entrepreneurial business leader space if you've not heard of it or you've not read it, then definitely go out and read it. And it will give you a different outlook on, I've got one revenue stream and these are all my outgoings. It just completely opens your mind. And another one, which is probably my favorite book, which came from Dom, so I could potentially be about to steal your thunder here, is Shoe Dog, which there is a film, not necessarily Shoe Dog itself, but the new movie Air, which is out at the moment. An amazing book. Um, and just the way in which it's written, which is very sort of anecdotal, that's not even a word. Hopefully you all understood what I meant. Um, very story-based and really, really, really well written by, um, by Phil Knight. Again, it just sort of got knocked down. He's constantly trying to come up with new ideas of how to actually shift this trainer across America. Then he's got manufacturing problems out in wherever he was, has to open another factory. Just an unbelievable story. Um, and Dom, I've just stole your book, so I'm really sorry. No, it's fine. There's, there's one more that I would add, which I've read, I think, three or four times, and I try and come back to it every couple of years, which is Four Hour Workweek, um, which, again, is a, is a very, very popular one. Um, there's a lot I don't think is possible or agree with with, with that book, but I think the fa- a lot of foundational work in terms of thinking a bit differently about how to run businesses um uh is is worth definitely reading or listening to there's there's one more um which is probably one that's maybe a little bit less well known definitely in the u.s but it's quite well known in the uk called the chimp paradox um so chimp paradox is written by a psychologist called steve peters and it defines how you've got different reactions and different brains based on, you know, if, if you get angry or you've got different ways of computing things. And for me, particularly when I was younger, Don would probably say I've not quite grown out of it, but I, I can get a little bit angry at times at certain things, 
which is why it's great to have someone who understands you mm-hmm. and understands how your brain works. But that book helped me realize why why I was doing certain things. And it makes you accountable for your actions. You know, so it gives an example that if you're if you jump in a taxi, you've got a train at 11:30, let's say, and you leave, you it's a 10-minute journey, and you call a taxi driver to say, right, pick me up at 11:15. You've only got 15 minutes. Then you hit a load of traffic and you miss your train. Normal, normally you'd get angry at the taxi driver. Maybe the taxi driver didn't get you there in time. The reality is it's your fault. You should have called a taxi for 11 o'clock. The way it puts things into perspective is fantastic. Hmm. So I think, I mean, running off of, of that last statement that you made, let's talk about giving words of inspiration or words of wisdom wisdom to the entrepreneur that's listening to this podcast. And I think collectively between what both of you are about to say, the entrepreneur listening could then take what you're saying, take heed to it, and then take action. So I would I would say my advice to anybody who's tr- maybe trying to start an agency or trying to start a business my personal advice would be to start selling something, test the market, sell and tell people that you're, you know, you're brand new. This is my niche. I'm going to normally my services would be 1500, but because I'm brand new, I'm taking on five clients at 750. Would you be three months proof of concept and in return, um, you know, do me a testimonial mm-hmm. and work to define your service. I think too many people wait for the perfect brand, build the perfect website, trying to find a perfect service where there are so many people, so many clients happy to take a punt on you as an entrepreneur at a cost price deal, knowing that there could be hiccups and there could be up and down in the three months, but you also get paid for it and you also have your services covered. That is one piece of advice that Dom and I give to any entrepreneur. We did a talk at at our school not so long ago, which was exactly that. Take the leap of faith. The worst thing that happens is you will still learn something in that three months and you'll get paid to do so. There is no, there is absolutely no downside or no downfall from being that failure. You spin it into a success. Wow. Wow. And your point of view, Dom? Yeah, I think it's it's really interesting. I literally was having a conversation with a friend yesterday who was, um, who was thinking about starting a business and you know, they were trying to think what it's going to be like in six months, 12 months, you know, what if this happens, what if that happens? And um, I think being an overthinker can be a real downfall to to an entrepreneur. Um, and I think usually the best are ones who don't think too much and just do. Um, that would be my advice at, at the, the minimum. If you haven't, just get started with something. Yeah. Um, and also... Um, I think this comes with time, but knowing when something is working or when it isn't. Um, and again, I had a conversation with one of our clients who's been with us through a number of businesses. And we were talking about the difference in when it's going right. It feels like you're swimming with a current in the sea. Uh, and when it doesn't, it feels like you're swimming sort of against that current. Um, and it's hard to put into context until you've actually been in those two situations. But um, just knowing when to drop something and that comes with ego as well not having an ego if it doesn't work or you know you're not making the money that you think you should be making within six months to a year drop it and start something new uh, in in my opinion especially a service-based business uh, I think if it's tech it's completely different um, so it definitely depends what what industry you're in but um, 
yeah, there sh you should be able to see some sort of traction quickly. And if, if not, then pivot and move on. Yeah, I think those are definitely phenomenal answers. And it kind of reminds me of one of the quotes. I forgot which one of you guys wrote this quote or who, who put it together, but it was a quote that you guys sampled from Michael Jordan and it was on your Instagram page. And it was saying that talent wins games, but teamwork and intelligence win championships. So I would look at you guys as a championship coaches, right? You're not actually playing the game, you're orchestrating the game. So if the listeners listening, how would they get in contact with you or what platform would you want them to reach out to you? Yeah, so there's a couple of different ways. You can um, drop us a, a connection on, on LinkedIn. Obviously, Dom and I are both, both very active on LinkedIn, Elliot Chapman and Dom Chapman on LinkedIn. Or if you want to reach out to us directly, you can reach us at elliot at chapman.capital, Elliot spelled E-L-L-I-O-T. Very cool. So that leads me to a bonus question, right? So, and I'm asking this question for both of you guys to kind of figure out if you want to answer it together or independently, but if you had an opportunity to spend 24 hours with anyone and that person could be someone that's from the past as dead, someone that's alive today, who would it be and why? Oh, it's a very good question. Crikey, that is a good question. I think um, if it's to do with sort of the work settings, I think someone like your Steve Jobs who've, um completely changed in industry would be fantastic i'm not sure he'd want to spend 24 hours with me but um i don't think I anybody spend 24 hours with you Tom. <laughs> no no that's true that's very true um you know seeing how someone at that level and what they've done at a scale how their brain works and how they look at situations and uh, industries i think is really really interesting um and then the other side of it is someone like warren buffett who you know has consistently won for 50, 60, yeah. 70 years. How are you um, doing? Yeah, how are you, you know, how, how what are you doing to, to be that consistent all the time? Mm. Um, so pro probably Warren Buffett over, over Steve Jobs. Now the game we're in, which is more sort of, as you put it, empire building um, over building one big business. Mm. I would... I can't think of a direct example, but I would want to go and just not be there, but just almost be like a fly on the wall mm. of somebody who has managed to influence huge nations into, you know, into doing things that like big, these big revolutions that happen. I want to, I want to see what happens like inside these rooms. How do, how do people sway? How do people sway rooms of highly intelligent people into doing things that are, either corrupt or wrong. And I just, I find the, this psychology of mm. slaying people and selling to people absolutely fascinating. So I can't think of a direct example, but that's what I would, that's what I would want to go and do. Oh, very interesting. So that, that kind of leads me to, I mean, both of you have had several achievements independently of each other and together a lot of achievements as well. So collectively between all these different achievements, which one would you say is your most significant one to date? Mine's, mine's quite easy. My biggest achievement is my young family. I think creating, creating a young family whilst running a business and being involved in several other businesses mm. um, has been incredibly taxing. Um, and my face shows that before Don mentions it. I'll get the joke in before he does. I can see him smirking. Um, that is by far the biggest achievement mm. um, for, for me, being... 
you know, having a young family, having somebody by my side who's genuinely invested in what we're trying to do and build is is by a long way the the biggest life achievement in in business i think um probably when social chats broke a million um was also a a pretty cool achievement we did it in um in a really short space of time um just over 12 months and i never thought well i kind of did but i never thought that we'd break a million so um they're my two yeah, interesting. I, th- I think um, there's been a few moments where there's sort of real celebrations that we've we've like as you go through your sort of um, your journey, you you stop celebrating or the big wins don't feel like big wins, like the big losses don't feel like them. You sort of become numb to this this game where you're just consistently moving forward. Um, but when we first signed our, you know, our first major client, I think uh, me, you and Sammy, who's our sister, she was our first employee. We all had a FaceTime um, and sort of celebrated um, like it was the biggest win in the world. Yeah. Um, but it also meant that, you know, we, we could start this business, we can employ our sister, we could pay ourselves and sort of really kickstart the journey. Um, so I think that's, that's a, that was a nice moment. Um, and, you know, there's been other moments when, like when Speak On Podcast went through, um, you know, and we we FaceTimed our, our dad and sort of it was a very proud moment for him as well. And just seeing that, um, seeing that was nice. Hmm. Yeah. 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 I mean, collectively, we're both, if I could simplify it, I mean, both of you have both said it in two different ways that, you know, family is family comes first, period. Like both your answers fall into that in different hemispheres, right? Um, I definitely appreciate that. I think for all entrepreneurs, that's what we're looking for. We're looking for to be able to be free, to spend more time with our family, to leave behind a legacy. And I think you guys are doing a hell of an example, setting that stage and also making your parents proud, helping your sister along the way, and obviously helping all the entrepreneurs that are listening to this podcast with that journey, right? Um, so going into closing, I like to give opportunity to whoever I'm interviewing a, a space so they can become the host of Boston Cage Podcast. So now both of you are the co-hosts of the show. I'm your guest. Do you guys have any questions for me? Yes. How how have you been able to manage a a balance between what you're doing right now and everything, all the success that you've created? How how are you able to manage your day-to-day balance so that you are genuinely waking up happy? For me, I think it becomes more of a lifelong event. And I didn't really come into this this person who I am until I had a, a life-changing event to where I faced death in its face and I had a stroke. And then from that moment, then I was like, okay, like I need to figure out what my real purpose is and then not only delegate this purpose to multiple different people, like I'm delegating to you guys right now, but how do I also leave behind breadcrumbs for your next generation, my next generation, or 20 generations down the road? So for me, I wake up with the, the intuitive fact that I'm doing this every single day for a reason, for a purpose, and I'm bringing along my family on that journey. Nice. Interesting. What's, what's one thing that you do to, um, to switch off uh, so you don't have to think about work? Um, I, I think before I used to switch off, but now with like the whole Boston Cage brand, it, it, it's, it's like, I always say there's a personal brand, there's a business brand, there's a service brand, and there's a product brand and Boston Cage in, in captivates who I am as an individual. So I don't really have to turn it off. 
the person that you guys are talking to right now is the same person if we met on the transit, if we met at the mall. So for me, I, I rock the brand, I wear the brand, and I consume by the brand day in, day out because it, it is who I am. So for me, it's not, I don't have to turn it off. I'm just being my natural self. Do we have a couple more questions? Yeah, feel free. What's, your, what's been the biggest mis mistake that you've made? Oh, and, how did, and how did you sort of create a solution? How did you process that? How did you go, right, mistake made, this is my route forward? Yeah, so the biggest thing that I, I did was I burnt my candlestick on both ends. Like literally uh, with so many different opportunities and jumping between so many different principles of expertise, right? So whether I'm a graphic designer or whether, you know, I have my Series 6 and I'm dealing with, with the market or I'm dealing with insurance, it was just too diversified. So post the stroke, kind of like streamlining those processes made it a lot easier for me to kind of move forward and made it a lot like, um, like not only easier, but it made it more profound for me to recover from that mistake of mm -hmm. candlestick and then also leveraging assets. And that's why I talked about you guys having like that uh, person in the Philippines, right? So for me, it was like, okay, how do I delegate? And once I figured out delegation, that's when I started to scale rapidly and started to grow because I wasn't doing everything myself. Mm. Could you feel like could you feel the burnout coming like when you were in the in the moment? Because I sometimes get that, and Dom and I talk about it. We go right. I need a break. I don't know where this has come from, but I just need feel like I need a break. Did you feel it coming on? Oh yeah, yeah, and it, it goes back into life, right? So you may have personal stuff. You may have your parents. Like me and my wife, we have this conversation. Like you know, being in forty years old, we are at the generation to where now we get why people have midlife crises it's because. Our parents have issues with, with health and everything else. And we, as the, in the middleman, has to help them deal with that. And then we have kids that are growing into young adults, and we have to deal with them and their dramas and help them grow up and help them not make too many mistakes and figure things out. And then you have your own personal shit in the middle. So yeah. you have like this, it's not an equilibrium. It's like you're juggling everything all at the same time. So it's an ongoing thing. But until you're like 40, 50, 55 years old, you don't realize that you're in that space in that bubble until it actually happens to you. Mm. You mentioned you mentioned about like a set of principles. Do you have a set of principles that you sort of somewhat live by? I think different principles, right? So for me, it's more so, you know, kind of goes back to the traditional treat people the way you want to be treated. And I think uh, in business, yes, you can be like a complete asshole. Or you can be a nice guy and just don't let people run over you. And I'm thinking that's probably the better way to go, right? I mean, obviously, you don't want anyone to take, take your trademarks or take your patents or take your business from you. So you're not going to be a pushover. But why not do good things at the same time? Yeah, you don't have to be an asshole about it. You know, you can, Dom and I talk about it a lot. And you can deliver bad news and still come out. I was about to say smelling the roses, but it's probably not the right analogy. But you can still come out. With them, with respect. With, yeah, with respect. You know, try and try and deliver things so that somebody would go, "Oh, hey guys, how are you?" You know, you don't need to be a complete a hole about it. Yeah, hundred percent fact. And I think it, it's, it's the times are changing, right? So I mean, that that's the shift as well too. We're at mm. that time to where that's accepted. Versus if you go back 30, 40 years ago, it was kind of like I think the statement from the founder of McDonald's. He was like, you know, would you put a hose in? <laughs> in your competitor's mouth while he was drowning, right? Like that was the way of the way back then. Now, now yeah, that's, not, that's not what we're doing, so. Yeah. Dom, you got any more questions? I think um, one last question for me, which is if you were to, to start again, mm. um, 
what industry, what business would you start first? Where would you start? I would start with the SaaS-based platform and tech, pound for pound, period. Okay. Yeah. Because, I mean, the longevity of that, right? I mean, obviously, it's going to constantly keep growing, right? It's going to constantly keep evolving. So there's always going to be supply and demand as long as the grid stays up, right? So ideally, you can kind of create a platform much like what Apple has done, right? I mean, Apple was hardware and software, but now they're a little bit of everything, right? Amazon was books. Now they're books and everything and also <laughs> software as well. So software is, is, is the bedline to what everything is running on in today's society. And it's been like that since, you know, I would say the late 80s. Nice. All right. Final question. Yep. And this is one that we, uh, I think we stopped doing this actually, but we used to ask this question at the end of every single interview, like for when we were going to hire people. And it's, what does happiness mean to you? Wow. So happiness for me is not in today's world. I mean, obviously everything that I'm doing, we're building happiness and yeah, we go on vacations and all that, but ideally to look in retrospect, maybe a hundred years down the road to see like my great, great grandkids uh, leveraging these assets that I'm building today to help them be fruitful tomorrow. That's what real happiness looks like to me. Nice. Yep. Good answer. Appreciate it. Well, I definitely appreciate you guys being here. Like I said earlier on, it was, it's definitely great. Cause again, I use your platform. It's a wonderful platform and I've, I've gotten like, you know, the founder of Redfin because of your platform. So I definitely Look forward to continue working with you guys. I think you guys brought a hell of a lot of value, a lot of insight. And the fact that you guys are kind of like two halves of the same path is, is a wonderful experience to have you guys on the show today. Thank you so yeah, much for nice. having me. Loved it. Been Thanks for getting Dom to be nice to me. Yeah, that was that. I was like, whoa. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's rare. It is rare. I'm going to go and have an ice bath now. Yeah, I need to, yeah. It's <laughs> funny, man. Well, again, man, S.A. Grant. Over and out. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Boss Uncaged. I hope you got some helpful insight and clarity to the diverse approach on your journey to becoming an Uncaged Trailblazer. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, review, and share the podcast. If this podcast has helped you or you have any additional questions, reach out and let me know. Email me at ask at sagrant.com or drop me your thoughts via a call or text at 762-233-BOSS. That's 762-233-2677. I would love to hear from you. Remember, to become a boss in cage, you have to release your inner beast. S.A. Grant, signing off. Listeners of Boss Uncaged are invited to download a free copy of our host, S.A. Grant's insightful ebook, Become an Uncaged Trailblazer. Learn how to release your primal success in 15 minutes a day. Download now at www.bossuncaged.com forward slash free book.